this Sunday, today, I'd like to start a series on the life of David. I think this will be 12 messages. And I like speaking in a series because it, I, I can follow, I personally can follow better. And um, it also gives an opportunity for folks to read at home about the life of David. And reading about the life of David and seeing his life really has spoken to me. And I think that we are familiar with many stories in the Old Testament. And if anybody's cold, just read, you know, just let me know so we can turn it down a little bit if you're too cold. But the life of David is so remarkable because there is no other figure in the Old Testament that has commanded so much attention. Uh, think of the amount of chapters and the amount of context, content that has been devoted to the life of David. Uh, as we study the life of David, we're going, to, we're going to see a controversial person who really has the favor of God in his life. We're going to see an honest picture of the life of David and the things that he faced. What I like about the Bible is that it's not a book that's politically correct. It just shows everything the way it really happened. And there's no, sometimes, even explanations or apologies. God is not apologizing for his people in the Bible. I think if I was God, I'd be so embarrassed to write a book like this. I'd want everybody in my book that I'm writing about to be perfect. Look at the religion, you know, that I've created that is just amazingly perfect. Nobody sins, everybody's happy, and it's just amazing. Nothing goes wrong. But you see in Jacob, his life, that he was, his family was dysfunctional. He had issues with his family and the life of David. David, as a man that we see, was chosen by God to represent an aspect of the nature of God that shines through the entire life of David. And that is what? Intimacy. It's the intimacy and the grace of God, isn't it? God's grace, isn't it? God's grace that pervades in a life of a person who has a covenant that God has made with him, and yet God sustains him. So I'd like to preface this series with just a few things. Today is just going to be introductory about the subject of David's life, but I'd like to preface it with the understanding that God made a covenant with David. God made a covenant with David. And this covenant was an eternal covenant. This was a covenant that did not last just for the life of David. It did not last only for the duration of David's good behavior. But it was a covenant that lasted throughout David's genealogy. And we're going to look at that in a minute. David is a man that understood the grace of God. David, for me, is a picture of the New Testament believer in the Old Testament. Uh, we believe in the dispensations, but we are not locked in the dispensations. That means we can see the grace of God in the Old Testament. We can see God move in an amazing way with His Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. So we are not locked into dispensations. Sometimes when we say the Old Testament and the New Testament, I understand that we say that, but... Why do we have to say old? There's nothing old about it. It's fresh. It's new. It's amazing. It's history. I love to read stories because for me, I'm a hands-on person. I love examples. 
and I love to see real life situations. And so David's life speaks to me in an amazing way here. Let's look at Psalm chapter 18 and verse 35, and I want to see, I just want us to see briefly, we're going to turn in the scriptures a little bit, so have your Bible handy, if you don't have one, it's right there in the pew in front of you, Psalm 18, verse 35, and it says this, and this is David's testimony of God himself, thou hast given me the shield of thy salvation, thou hast given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand has holden me up. Isn't that beautiful? The right hand always speaks of in the Bible of a hand of approval. It's a hand, it's the position of approval and pride and joy. Jesus stands at the right hand of God and David's here was held up with the right hand of God. And then this is the phrase I want us to look at specifically. And thy gentleness hath made me great. Isn't that beautiful? What makes us great today? Gentleness of God in our lives. The patience of God. The long-suffering of God. The forbearance of God. That is what makes a believer great. And that's what made David great. David did not say that I made myself great. There's plenty of those books out there today. The self-help books or the idiot's guide books. Um, We've all seen them. Many of us have read them to understand how to fix our computer or our car. But there's one thing that makes us great. Becca, can I get a little cup of water? Thanks. One thing that makes us great is the God's gentleness, God's graciousness. I think that we as human beings are so conditional. Uh, we can actually be a believer, a Christian, and be so conditional and so... Uh, demanding of ourselves and of other people in a way that God never is. The reason that God made a covenant with David, a covenant of grace, was that God wanted to, thank you, God wanted to reveal something about his nature that could not be revealed any other way. Now, God created the universe. God created the world that we live in. God created this planet. He created us. You and I are a personal creation of God. God created, but there are some things that God cannot reveal about his nature unless it is done through a frail human being such as us. Think of that. You and I are the, are the channels or the vessels of how God reveals his nature to a, a blind and a dying world. We would say, well, God, why don't you reveal yourself through an amazing display of a Hollywood production uh, or a, an amazing miracle? Why don't you just appear with you and all of your angels in Washington, D.C., and we'll all believe on you or in some major location in the world? But God has not chosen to reveal himself to this world that way. God has chosen, through his wisdom, to reveal himself through weakness that amazing? God does not take pleasure in strong, powerful people. God takes pleasure when we as weak human beings are dependent on Him for our daily bread. That is what reveals an amazing God to this world. Jesus was born, and this is not Christmas, but we can celebrate Christmas in July, in August, right? Jesus was born in a manger, right? In a very humble uh, place that was dirty and was not really fit for a king. 
And that's how God chose to introduce the solution for sin and evil in the world through weakness. And this we see in the life of David. David made a covenant, a God made a covenant with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses. And really this, these covenants, the purpose of these covenants is for us to understand the increase of our joy and of faith and that the main point being is that God exerts all of His omnipotence and omniscience to do good. God's purpose in His covenant with you and I is to show us His grace. Because there's no grace in this world, is there? People can be nice to a certain limit until you step on their toes or until you offend them. But God's covenant of grace was made with, with David to show that God's base nature is good and gracious. When we understand the basic plan of God in our life and the basic nature of God is a nature of grace, that will affect every area of our life. It will affect the way we pursue our, our vocation. It will affect our leisure. It will affect the way we raise up our kids. It will affect the way we deal with conflict, understanding the grace of God. It will also affect the way we handle our anxiety. You know, if you and I are facing anxiety, the best way to deal with that is not to be downing medication, although that can help if it's prescribed and whatever we understand the doctors can be used by God. But the best way to deal with worry, doubt, and anxiety, and shame, and guilt is to understand the grace of God. The grace of God, we said last week, we understand this, the commonly said, God's riches at Christ's expense, right? But last week we said something different. We said, how, what did we say that grace stands for? Does anybody remember? God's, God's what? Rescuing. Rescue and caring exertion. God rescues us and he carefully exerts his love towards us. The reason why we want to look at the covenant with David is, is that we see that God not only makes a covenant, but he lays down his job description and says, this is how I will work for David with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength. And if you, David, will love me as I am, cleave to me, and trust me and keep my word, you're going to see my hand in your life. And this is really what it means to understand a covenant. Sometimes when we think about covenants, we think this is my covenant that I'm making with God, what I'm going to, my, my, my rescuing of my own situation and my careful exertion towards God. God's not looking for that. God is looking, as we heard from Pastor Tony earlier, an available heart. Just availability to say, God, here I am, with my mess, with my life, with everything the way it is, with the inability to really change things. Because God is not after behavioral modification. That's the world can do that. You know, we can modify our behavior to the nth degree, but have an unconverted heart that doesn't worship God, that doesn't fear God. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, and I want us to read this, think of these words and apply them to your heart. You know, when we read the Bible, we read about the life of David. 
my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would take these words and apply them to us personally in our personal life so that we could have a rhema or a personal revelation from God about what this means for us personally. 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see the covenant that God makes with David. Chapter 7, verse 8. says this, Now therefore so shalt thou say to my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the shepherd coat, or the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee wherever soever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight. This is being said to David down the road in his life a little bit. We're just fast-forwarding to look at this. And have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Verse 10, Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and I will plant them. See what God is saying? I'm going to do this. 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 This is God speaking about what He is doing. And I will place them in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them anymore as before time. As since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that He shall make thee a house. And when, the day, when, thy, days, I, when thy days be fulfilled... And thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. I will set up thy seed. And, and look at this here. I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. He shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him. Beautiful, isn't that? We see the plan of God for chastisement, but we see that the mercy of God does not depart. Even in the Old Testament, we see this. As I took it from Saul, and, I will, uh, and whom I put away before thee, and thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever According to all these words and according to all, the, all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. And so God is speaking to David and he says, I'm going to make a commitment, a covenant that goes beyond David. It goes beyond Solomon. It goes beyond to a future person. And his name is going to be the son of David, Jesus Christ. When God makes a covenant with you and I, he is not basing the covenant on your and my ability to keep that covenant. Okay? Because if God was to make a covenant with His people based on our ability to keep that, it would probably last 30 seconds if we were lucky. God makes a covenant with His Son. His Son's blood was spilled for us. And that covenant is an eternal covenant, an everlasting covenant. And this is the covenant that God made with David. And so as we read the life of David... We're going to see his activity, his actions, his successes, his failures. And what we're going to see, even as in our own life, through our lives, we're going to see the underneath being underneath the arms, uh, underneath are the arms of 
an everlasting God that doesn't forsake David and that doesn't leave David. God had a plan to set up an everlasting throne, a kingdom, and David was going to be a man that was revealing that nature of God's grace and God's rule there. And this is where I wanted to, this is where I want to get into a practical um, place for us here so that we can apply this personally for us, that the when we read in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 4, and 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 25, and uh, many other places where we see that the covenant of David remains in the failure of many of the following kings, we see that God makes a covenant and He keeps it. Throughout the Bible, we see God speaking to man, giving him a mandate. Right from the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We see God's mandate. The second thing that we see is man's failure. Man fails. Every time this happens, every era of the Bible, we see God's mandate, man's failure. And then we see a third thing. We see God's intervention, God bringing in redemption. Every part of the Bible, we see the Ten Commandments given. And remember what we said about the Ten Commandments, that before the Ten Commandments were given, God was rehearsing with Israel His history of His faithfulness to His people. And at the end of that whole dissertation of God's faithfulness to His people, Israel says what? What does Israel say to God in Exodus 17, uh, Exodus 19? We will keep all of the commands, correct? Israel said, we're going to keep this all. We are going to be obedient. And that was not the response that God was looking for. God was looking for a response of just thank you and worship. Because whenever we try to enter into a conditional relationship with God, God can't accept that. Because if it's either all God in our life, and it's all God getting the glory in Ephesians chapter 1, or it's us taking a part of the, of, the, of the credit, and that doesn't work with God. So we see that God intervenes because of His faithfulness. You know, another thing that we see about David's life, and again, this is just an introduction to his life, is that David has a continual intervention of God in his life. Whether it be chastisement, whether it be blessing, whether it be promotion from God. David, because he is, has, because God has a covenant with David, we see God's intervention in David's life. Because God has a plan. A couple of weeks ago, we finished the life of Ruth. And we see how Ruth's life ended with a, with a foreshadowing prophecy that there was going to be coming a Messiah, a king. I want to just look at this here when, when David's life in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, is David's life is summarized in the New Testament. And it's always amazing to see what the New Testament's commentary is on Old Testament events. And... In Acts chapter 13, verse 22, is really a commentary about David's life. And I think if David was alive today, I don't think a lot of churches would have him speak in their church. I mean, I don't know. He's too controversial. Too much history there. You know, there's too much... uh, What would people think if David was to speak in my church? And everybody knows the history of David and what he did. People that he killed... 
mistakes he made. His son is out of control. How could David speak in some churches today when Absalom is just out of control? It's really interesting how God functions and how God works, isn't it? Acts chapter 13, verse 22. This is what God's perspective of David's life is in verse 22. And when he had removed him, being Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king. Because Saul never had a heart after God. Saul was a man that was really had his own agenda, and it was all about him. And Saul was just there because he wanted, because the people wanted him to be there. David was a man after God's own heart. And this is what it says in verse 22. He raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, man after my own heart. And look at these words, which shall fulfill all my will. Wait a minute. Fulfill all my will. What is the testimony at the end of David's life? It, the testimony here is that David did the all of the will of God. How could that be? How could this be? Is this a contradiction in the Bible? No, it's not. Because the way God looks at a man that's after his own heart is so different than the way people, you and I, would look at a person. David fulfills all of God's will because of God's faithfulness, because of the faithfulness of God. Yes, David participated in God's faithfulness with a positive volition and, a, and an availability to God. God, of course, needs our will to be participating in, in His faithfulness. We have to say yes to God. We have to allow God to work. We have to take up a personal cross to allow God to be working in our lives. But the testimony here is, is that David filled all of my will. How did, that, how did that happen? Did David fail? Yes, he did, many times. But what did he do? He recovered in grace. He rebounded, forsook his mistake, and moved forward. What's the difference between Judas and Peter? Judas failed, right? He sold our Savior for 30 pieces of silver, and then he went and hung himself. Peter denied our Savior three times. He denied Him. But what was the difference? Peter rebounded in the grace of God. I've heard it, and we've heard it said, it doesn't matter how far you have fallen, but how far do you bounce back up in the grace of God? You know, in the American Calvary, when the days when our Calvary was on horses, in the training of these young soldiers, many of the soldiers, as they were learning to ride, were learning to ride for the first time. And when they would fall off the horse for some reason, the sergeants in charge would immediately take the cadet and put him back on the horse, immediately, as fast as he could do that. Because every second that that cadet laid on the ground in pain or in shame or embarrassment, that distance of him and the horse grew greater in his mind. The longer that a person lays in failure and lays in personal condemnation and lays in personal beating themselves up makes a greater distance to experiencing the plan of God and the grace of God. When we fail, which we don't make provision for the flesh, Romans chapter 6, God forbid shall we say that grace will cover all of our sin if we live in sin. God forbid. No. But if we do, we have an advocate, 1 John 1, 9, that 
is interceding for us. And when we rebound in the grace of God, God takes all of that that had all of that mess that had happened and he will redeem it. He will redeem it. We see this happen over and over in David's life. I want to just finish the message here with this, that David loved mercy. God understood, David understood God's love for mercy more than sacrifice. In Psalm 18, verse 25, David was mercifully judged because he understood the law of mercy. In Psalm 51, verse 1. And I want to close with two things here. The law of mercy and the royal law of love. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, when Samuel, God's man, took Saul and told, communicated to Saul, Saul, you're disqualified. He used this verse in 1 Samuel verse 15, chapter 15, verse 22. The Lord... Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying, or in the Hebrew, hearing the voice of God more than sacrificing things for God? Saul's concept of God was that he had to sacrifice for God instead of hearing from God in his life. David understood a personal relationship with God in grace. And that is why David had a heart after God, and that's why David was God's chosen Hosea chapter 6, verse 6 also says this. It says, I have desired mercy, and this is God speaking, and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. But they, like men, have transgressed the covenants, the covenant being God with David and God with Israel, and they have dealt treacherously against me. So as a New Testament believer with the covenant of God in our life, what is transgression and what is sin? What, is, what does it mean to transgress God in the new covenant? It's very clear in James chapter, uh, James chapter 2, and I, I want us to look at that in a minute, that there is a new law. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law in, Gen in Romans chapter 10, verse 2. He fulfilled the whole law. He fulfilled those Ten Commandments, because we know the Ten Commandments were given to prove to us that we needed a Savior. When Christ filled, fulfilled the whole law, he gave us a new law. And this new law is really what we will be judged by at the judgment seat of Christ. And this is the royal law of love. Let's read this in James chapter 2, verse 8. Indeed, if you, and I'm reading from the Amplified Bible, if indeed you really fulfill the royal law in accordance with Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. You do well. For whosoever keeps the law as a whole, but stumbles and offends in one point, one single instance, he has become guilty of breaking the entire law. For example, maybe somebody's never committed adultery, but maybe they, in their minds, murdered somebody. They just, had a, they just wanted to kill somebody in their minds. That means that that person has offended the entire law. They are guilty of every point in the law, even if they've never done it. That is the severity of the law. Jesus fulfilled that. And this is what David understood. I think David had an understanding in the, through the Holy Spirit, God's redemptive plan, and that from his, in his lineage would be coming a Savior that thought and lived in the grace and the redemption of God. This was the life of David. And David understood this law of liberty, this royal law of love. And in verse 
verse 12, so speak and act as people who are to be judged under the law of liberty, the moral instruction given by Christ, especially about love. In verse 13, let's look at this. For to him who has shown no mercy, the judgment will be merciless, but mercy, but mercy full of glad confidence, exalts victoriously over judgment. Think of this with me as I close, that the new law, and this is the law that David lived under, was a law of liberty. That David understood that he was going to be judged the way he judges other people. And if David being a merciful king showed mercy, then he understood that God would be judging him the same, one, same way. Psalm 51 verse 1, David cries, leans upon the mercy of God, Psalm 51 verse 1 in his mistake. David said, do not judge me or chastise me based on your anger, but according to your mercy, judge me. Deal with me according to your mercy. And I want to bring this to the, the personal level, to the practical level here this morning. That we have a mission. And that mission is to live in the, under the law of liberty. Yesterday, when, after outreach, I was talking with Peter and Tanya about this. And we were saying how, how it's a very healthy thing to check ourselves in the grace of God to think is my life revealing the gracious nature of Jesus Christ and is this the way that God would reveal his nature to a person in a circumstance for example I remember we grew up in a traditional church um, and as a kid you know we really didn't hear about the grace of God, the mercy of God, and it was really a lot of just about works. And I remember after service, you know, my parents would always go out to dinner for lunch, Sunday lunch. And uh, I remember sometimes, you know, we'd always go to this one restaurant. And a lot of people, a lot of church folk would go to this restaurant. And I remember, and I understand now why, but I didn't understand then, the faces of these poor waitresses and waiters when they saw all these church people coming was just they were afraid, they were just like, oh no. <laughs> and I remember just going into this restaurant and sitting down with my folks that we had just been in church, but now we were at a restaurant where we were just, you know, so demanding of the, of the, uh, of the waiters and the waitresses. And I remember just saying to my dad and my mom saying, you know, guys, we, we're Christians. Let's be, let's be kind to these waiters and waitresses. We're born-again believers, aren't we? We love God. We were just worshiping God for His goodness. And I had one waitress tell me not too long ago that her hardest group of, the hardest group of people that she has to deal with is a Sunday afternoon crowd because they come in and they're, <laughs> they can be so mean sometimes. And I was thinking about this. What an interesting... And I was driving up here and, you know... Uh, I was thinking, like, we can be so, we can function outside of the law of liberty that God has been so amazingly gracious to us and that the only debt that we have as a believer is to show grace. We have received so much grace. To whom much is given, much is required. And we have such a debt to people to reveal the grace and the mercy of God. People don't deserve our flesh. People don't deserve my 
my, my nastiness. People don't deserve anything that is of Adam and that needs to go to the cross. And when that goes to the cross and I just allow God to crucify that in quietness, then I can give people Christ and I can give people love and they can see something that goes beyond anything that, that they've ever seen before. And this is our mission because as we function in the grace of God, God wants to transform our lives. And as He does this, we're going we're gonna to be amazed at what God does. We're going to be amazed to see how much patience we have with people. We're gonna be, we're amazed, we'll be amazed to see how much vision we have in our life. We'll be amazed to see how much joy we have in our life. Because when I'm trying to fill a law, that only leads to frustration. The frustration index grows. The ideal, the law gives an ideal, and then my experience is so far below that. But when we live in the royal law of love and we live in the liberty of God, then our experience matches our theology. Our belief impacts our behavior. And there's no way that, you know, there's no way that, that, let me just say it this way. God is not after behavioral change. God is after a, a totally converted heart. And religion can't do that. Religion and, um, con and control cannot do that. Only the Holy Spirit, through a word of grace in Acts 20, verse 32, can transform a person's life. And when that happens, then we live in God's covenant. Sin, at that point, is, is that when I just live depending on myself outside of God's covenant, God has finished it. We can rest in it. And that's what God wants. And that is called faith rest. And that is really the heart of God. And that's our mission as a church. Amen. Amen. So let's close in prayer and just thank the Lord for this covenant.